chapter. Listen to this. This is God's very word to you. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Sorry, I'm five verses ahead. Verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Get my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. The word of God for the people of God. I dare say that I highly suspect that none of you, but maybe some of you, are able to name all the parts of the body. You know the big ones, you've got that. You know eyes, nose, ears, mouth, heart, lungs, skin. Other than that, it gets a little fuzzy. You might might know some more if you've had some issues, you've gotten sick. Most of the time, we we don't notice anything unless something goes wrong. Same thing with your car. You You don't notice anything about it, you probably don't know much about it. A few of you do, until that check engine light comes on. Right? Well, so it is with the body, but... But here's what you know and I know about that. Every part is important. Every part is necessary. Although every part isn't always named, every time you go to the doctor, they do a few things. They check this and that. They don't check every single part of you, but it's important. Well, now we're wrapping up Colossians. We are in the last section, and it's a list of names and It's not usually the most scintillating parts and most of the names of the people you don't recognize from times before. And you might go, why do we even really cover this? Why didn't he cover this last week and just be done then by glossing over them? 
Well, because the reality is that just because we don't recognize the names of parts, speaking of the Christian body now, doesn't mean that every part isn't important. That every part isn't vital. That every part isn't necessary. And so as we come to this last section, as Paul has been writing to the Colossians, writing from his imprisonment, uh, he's now letting people know how things are. Now this isn't his second imprisonment. This isn't the one that later in life he's going to uh, be beheaded shortly after or executed shortly after he writes Timothy, uh, first and second. No, this is his first imprisonment, and, and so people are naturally inquiring of him. The Colossians have sent him Epaphras, but Epaphras isn't the only name who has care in the body, and he gives us a list. And so as we look at this text, as we consider a bunch of names, we're going to look at it and hopefully tie it together in a way that we understand that we are all needed, and we are all part of one body. There are not many who are our own individual, uh, go our own individual ways. We are, we are many who are one body. So we're going to take a look at this text in two points. You'll see, firstly, names for rejoicing. These are names that. You probably didn't do a cartwheel when you heard Archippus read, but these are names for rejoicing. And then we're going to see a couple of names for warning. Names for rejoicing and names for uh, warning. So what about this rejoicing? Well, the kingdom of Christ is made up of many. Right? It's compared to a body. That's, that's it, or compared to a, a temple. We are all living stones being built up into one temple. We are all parts of one body. The kingdom of Christ is compared to that. We are made up of many people from many backgrounds and many cultures and many uh, ethnicities and so on. And as such, we ought to take heart that the Lord is pleased to use people from all those cultures. Think, think of the diversity as you read scripture, people from all sorts of backgrounds. Think of Christ's own disciples, those 12. They were a motley crew, just that 12. And then you extrapolate out and out and out and you understand that the Lord is pleased to use so many in one body and that hasn't changed. It was true in Paul's day, it's true in our day. And so, who did he use in Paul's day? Well, firstly, Tychicus. Now, who is Tychicus? You, you don't have to raise your hand, but any of you know where else you might find him? It's a good guess. It's a good guess if he's with the Apostle Paul. You, you already know, he's probably mentioned in Acts. right? That if you didn't guess that, He's mentioned in Acts. And, and so Tychicus is a faithful companion of Paul's. He's someone introduced there as a traveling companion. And, and throughout the years, he's a steady support that Paul would count on. He would, he would send him to Titus and Crete and to Timothy and Ephesus to support and encourage them. 
He's someone to be counted on and encourage uh, others to prod them in the faith. And the body of Christ is made up of such. No doubt in your own life, you can think of someone, a steady influence that the Lord has used, someone for whom you ought to rejoice over. Maybe, maybe in this point, you have, till this point, you hadn't thought about them. You, you've only seen them as someone steady. You've only known them as always there, always plotting, always encouraging. And yet it's a reason for rejoicing to us in this way. And so can you think of someone? And then he goes on to Onesimus. Now the kingdom of Christ is made up of many. What do you know about Onesimus? Surely you know that name. Entire book written about him. It's only one chapter. But an entire book written about Onesimus. Onesimus was someone who ran away. He was a slave. And he ran away. And he ran into Paul. And Paul says that he is a father in the faith to him and that he is someone who the Lord is greatly using. As a matter of fact, Onesimus would go on after having gone back to Colossae to become a leader in the church there. He would become a leader among the people. There's that entire book about him and the Lord saved him and entrusted him with the gospel. And here's the thing that you need to understand about the faith of Christian, Christianity. It is not an aristocracy. It is not something handed down amongst those who are the the most well-bred and most well-known and those who have the most financial resources. No, the gospel comes to all sorts of people. And so maybe you didn't grow up in the church. Maybe your background's not the church. Maybe you don't have wealth now. Maybe you don't have that pedigree that Paul had in Philippians chapter 3 that he cites out for us. But the Lord is pleased to make up his church of people just like Onesimus and others. Maybe even you. In Aristarchus, verse 10. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. You see Aristarchus throughout the book of Acts. He's with Paul in the ups and downs of his missionary journey. You see him first in Acts chapter 19, and there was a riot in Ephesus. And and it says that they dragged with Paul Aristarchus, his Macedonian traveling companion, into the theater where their life was endangered. The Lord uses people quietly, unassumingly, and yet they will go through many of the same things that people who are much well, more well-known go through. The Apostle Paul is the one you think of primarily there, of all that he went through, and yet Aristarchus was with him through all of his journey. You see him first in chapter 19, and then you see him again in chapter 20, and 21, and 2, and 3, and 4, and 5, and 6. And so we rejoice in names of people who have simple faithfulness. And then, and then you get justice, right? Or Jesus, who is also called justice. What do you know about him? Well, you don't know much. He is mentioned in Acts also. Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 18. 
And he's mentioned here, but other than that, not much is, is said about him. He's just an ordinary guy with nothing particularly special to note, and yet he is chosen and given grace to be fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And that's the most common, that's the most common moniker, ordinary. That's the most common way for people in the church. That's what the Apostle Paul says, doesn't he? Consider it, brothers. Not many of you were of noble birth. Not many of you were wise. Not, you go down the line. And here you have justice, just an ordinary guy. And we rejoice that the Lord brings in the ordinary into his kingdom as fellow workers for the kingdom. This is the most common, not people who are up front and noticed by many eyes. These are, the, these are the people that work behind the scenes and the Lord blesses their labors and you don't even know sometimes that the Lord has blessed their labors because you're simply a recipient of the blessing. That's justice. and The Lord makes up his kingdom of those people. And then Epaphras. Epaphras had gone out from the Colossians to the Apostle Paul. He's mentioned here and in the book of Philemon. And it says of him, what? That he struggles on their behalf in his prayers. The, the word here is agonizes. He's agonizing. It's like the, the same one used of those who would be in some sort of foot race, some sort of um, gymnastic endeavor. It's that sort of word for the agony that's encountered in sports. That's his way of praying for the saints, that the Lord has worked in him such a way that he is like the Lord Jesus. This word is used of Christ. And so here he is. You rejoice when you think of people and you think of their Christ-likeness and you think of their labors on behalf, even in inglorious ways. You don't know of a single sermon Epaphras ever preached. You don't have any of his writings set out for you coming down with the early church fathers and yet you know his faithfulness. The Lord is pleased. And then Luke. You, you, everybody knows Luke. And if you don't, let me introduce you to him. He's the fourth gospel, uh, third gospel writer. Right, the third of the synoptic gospels. Luke was a normal guy. Now he had a little bit more to him. He was a physician. And so the Lord can use runaway slaves. The Lord can use ordinary guys. The Lord uses physicians. And Luke was a man faithful in his vocation. He was Paul's uh, doctor. And he traveled with him everywhere that Paul went. And you understand that when you read the book of Acts, what do you know? Well, at some point, he says, and Paul was doing this, and then he'll flip and he'll say, and we were lost at sea, and we went through this. The Lord uses people all across. And guess what? Luke, Luke was a Gentile that the Lord brought in and saved. And Luke, Luke writes more of the New Testament than even the Apostle Paul. The Lord uses those who are simply faithful in their callings, simply faithful in the mundane things in and out. The Bible's not written uh, only for or even mostly written by pastors. You have Luke, a physician, and the Lord is pleased to use him. 
We rejoice that he uses all sorts of people. And then you get someone that I guarantee you none of you know anything about because no one knows anything about her. Her name's Nympha. And yet the Lord calls her out for her faithfulness in all that she does in her labors for the church and has a church in her own home and she is used greatly of the Lord so that the Apostle Paul would send his greetings and have her mentioned. I don't know much about her other than that God used her. And that's the way it ought to be for most of us. That we don't have to be known, we don't have to leave a trail and a legacy that everyone would write about and think about in history. As a matter of fact, most of history is forgotten except by the families. And so here, our Christian legacy, that which we have, isn't that we have some rich pedigree, but it's that we would be faithful until the end. Then Archippus. Archippus is someone who needs a word of encouragement. The Lord is pleased to count even him in this number. And say to him, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Now, we don't know. Was he a slacker? What, what was going on here? Did he need encouragement in, in other ways? Maybe he was nervous and shy. Maybe he was young. Maybe we don't know anything about him except he needs this encouragement. And so the Lord is pleased still to count him in that number. And so how do these names, how does this cross-section, this picture, bring us to rejoicing in any way? Well, here it is. The Lord, the Lord is pleased To show us his goodness in using all sorts of people. So that no matter your sort, who you are, where you come from, what your background is, he will be pleased to receive you and call you his own. Not because you do something extraordinary. Not because you go out of your way in order to do big things for God. But simply by being faithful. By following Christ and looking to Him right where you are, He never once calls us to do grand things. He just uses us and blesses us in all our life. He's pleased to use you too. It's just like the body. There are no unnecessary parts. There are a lot of quiet and hidden parts. And some are visible parts. And, and so you, you need to understand that, that every part is needed just as much. And every part is wanted and just as much. There are no unnecessary parts in that body. Perhaps, perhaps in your mind you go, well, I feel insignificant I feel insignificant. I I don't know what more to do. And here it is. The Lord uses all of us. Even in minute ways. We, We go to Him in prayer. He uses that to bless. We're faithful in just being there. He uses that and is faithful to bless. We are those who encourage or those who receive encouragement. He is faithful and He will bless. He doesn't call big things. No, just recognize that simply being faithful is all we're called to do. No extras, not big things, just ordinary, mundane faithfulness.
that we live boringly in Jesus. That He is our all and we look to Him every day. It's okay to be boring. So long as you are serving Christ and looking to Him. And then there are two names that I left off. You probably picked that up. Names for warning. And these two names are given to us for a purpose. One, that we might not despair. And secondly, that we might not presume. What are these two names of warning? Well, the one that you might not despair is Mark. He's there listed What do you know about Mark? Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. And it's almost as he puts his hand up and he says, you know, concerning the one that you've received instructions about. Receive him. Why might he have to say that to them? What do you know about Mark? On that missionary journey with with Paul and Barnabas, they are about to go into Pamphylia and and it's surrounded by mountains and these mountains are known to be filled with robbers and these mountains are treacherous and there's all sorts of things. We don't know the cause of it, but what do you know? You know Mark goes, all right, that's it. I'm stopping right here. And he turns around and he leaves and you know after that that that. Barnabas wants to bring him on at some other point, a couple of chapters later, and you know that he himself out in a failure with no hope for him. Could have thought the Lord was finished with him, and yet stumbling he presses on. He goes with Barnabas. And the Lord uses him, and you understand, don't you, that the Gospel of Mark is the Lord using this very Mark. He was used by the Lord after going to Barnabas. He was sent to the Apostle Peter and he was there with Peter for a significant amount of time and it's actually believed that the Gospel of Mark is his recording of Peter's preaching and the Lord uses him so that at the end of his life, this is the first imprisonment, at his second imprisonment, what does the Apostle Paul say about Mark? This one here who is Coming back, who is still having those words said about him. Listen, concerning him, receive him. What does he say at the end of his life? 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. His name is a warning that you will not lay down no matter your sin, no matter how large, no matter the missteps you have had, no matter the mistakes you have made, no matter the trials you have been through, no matter your struggles. It's not your faithfulness, it's Christ's. And if you look to Him and you cling to Him, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've been through, He will still bless The Apostle Paul gives you this name that you might not despair. Because if you lay down, if you despair, if you say Christ is done with me and I ought have no hope in Him, then you're really adding to the gospel by making it rest in you. And you're doing what those false teachers would do. And you would be disqualified. 
It's Christ who keeps us. It's Christ, which is why the scripture says in Proverbs 24, the righteous falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in times of calamity. How do they rise again? Do they, do they rise by pulling themselves up in their bootstrap? No, no. They, they look to Jesus and they say, He alone has done it and He alone is worthy. And they understand what it means. That they've looked to themselves and they were overwhelmed in their sins because we are all that 10,000 talent sinner. But they have taken their eyes off that king who is gracious to forgive even that sort of debt. And they've despaired. And so Mark serves as a warning telling us to continue looking at Christ knowing that in Christ not some All of my sins are forgiven. That's what he's already told us in chapter 2. That all of our sins have been dealt with. They've been taken from us. They've been nailed to the cross. Even those times that we stumble and fall in great ways and we think that he would be finished with us. He's not. Because he's not dependent on you. He uses you in spite of you. Not because of you. And so you stand up and you look to Christ. and You call on Him and He will bless you. And so listen to this quote from Calvin. It's one that I read to myself probably weekly. He who struggling with his own weakness presses toward faith in moments of anxiety is already in large part victorious. Don't despair. Look to Christ. He will keep you. There's another name given that you might not presume. Mark is given that you might not despair, but there's another name given that you might not rest in yourself either. Both of them are resting in themselves. Mark would be resting in himself if he laid down in that despair. But there's another who rests in himself that all is well. His name is Demas. You saw him, didn't you, as we read? Demas, the beloved physician, greets you. Or excuse me, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Demas is given that you might not Rest in yourself. He's mentioned also in Philemon. And he starts off well. He travels with Paul. He he goes through all of these hardships with Paul. He does so many things with the Apostle Paul. He's a part of this band, this company, this body. And Demas... Demas didn't have the same misstep that Mark had. And everything seemed to be going well. And yet that is no sign... To be rested in. It started out well. But it didn't end there. And so it's a grave warning to us. That we are to never. Never. Never rest in yourself. Or in the feelings of a moment. But always. Always. Always look to Christ at every moment. When things are going splendidly. And swimmingly. We often think. I'm doing okay. And there's a great danger 
Because then you're resting in you. But the scripture says, He who began a good work in you will carry it to completion. You are not looking to Christ if you think that you are the one doing well. Demas is a great warning because in that same letter that the Apostle Paul speaks so highly of Mark, he says, he's useful to me. Just before that, he says this. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. One who starts well, who's listed as one in this band. He loves the world. He's a warning to us. And so the question for all of us as we sit here this morning is not, did you at some point in the past trust Jesus? Not at some point in the past did you pray some prayer and and that's where you're resting your hope. Not at some point in the past did you have some emotional stirring within you so that you said, yes, I could get behind this Christianity thing. That's not the question and it's never the question. Maybe some point in the past you've been on lots of mission trips. Lots of things and activities and doings that you, that you might look to. But if you are looking to those, you're missing the question. Demas had outdone you by now. He had been on all of those trips with Paul, even shipwrecked, even in hardship, even in hunger, even in strife, even in persecution, even in all of those things. And the question isn't, did he do that then? The question is, are you resting in Christ now? Are you trusting Christ now? Are you looking to Him? Are you casting your whole soul on Him? Demas is a warning to us that you might not presume. Because that presumption is saying that those things I did are enough. The gospel never says the things you do is enough. The things you do will damn you. The gospel is what Christ has done is enough. Are you resting in Him? Are you looking to Jesus this morning? No matter where you are, perhaps perhaps you're on that side of the warning. You are in the pit of despair, and all is blackness, and you don't even know if you believe anymore. You don't even know if you can hang on for another moment because things have not gone well, and you are ready to walk away. You are ready to despair. The counsel is the same. Look to Christ. Look to Him. Cast your soul upon Him and He will not let you be shaken. But maybe you're on the other side. And maybe you think you've got this Christianity thing down pat and you're doing okay. No, no big troubles, no, no harsh diagnosis and your life's going alright right now. And you, you can just take a little time for yourself. 
And the next thing you know, you might be getting swept away with the world. Carried in that current. Never rest in yourself. Never rest in a moment. Look to Christ. And so what's in a name? Well, it it causes us to rejoice when we think of those who are faithful. It causes us to rejoice when we think of those who are who are loving the Lord and we think of them, but it also gives us a warning. Never to rest in ourself. Never to rest in a moment. But always to look to Christ. Let's go to Him in prayer. Almighty God, this very moment we ask that You will press us into the reality of our need for Jesus. And that you will set us in him and let us cast our souls upon him on either side that we find ourselves. If we despair, let us run to Jesus. If we are those who are in a good place, let us not look to ourselves, but let us run to Jesus. That in Him we might find grace to be brought all the way home. This we ask in His name.